listening to The Curious Mother, a place where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. And I'm Melissa Miller. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Emily Sipslinski, who is a good friend of ours here in Charlotte. And along with having her PhD, she is also a certified eating disorder specialist. Um, In the past over a decade of her career, she's working really hard to change the conversation in our country about health and our bodies. So we are really excited to have uh, some interesting conversations for us moms about um, health obesity, and body image. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So um, Melissa and I had a few months ago, we had come across just a couple of different articles that were talking about healthy eating in kids. um, And we had, on our own, we were trying to come up with how do we express this to parents in ways that would be, you know, creating a healthy body image, a healthy lifestyle, And we were just kind of struggling with what the right message is. So Emily, can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you see as challenges with parenting kids today as far as related to weight? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I think there's a ton of conflicting messages out there, right? So there's, you know, come every January, we have a huge pressure to diet, to look a certain way. You go into grocery stores, you're just inundated by this is what you're supposed to look like. This is how you're supposed to eat. Then you have these mixed so the, the piece of the mixed message is that then you go into restaurants and, um, you know, movie theaters and everything's supersized and everything has, you know, um, lots of, you know, different ingredients that aren't so nutrient, you know, dense. So we're, we're both pushing this ideal of how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to approach health. And then our kind of uh, food climate doesn't really support that. Also behaviorally, we live a pretty sedentary lifestyle. So again, just a lot of confusing messages around health and, and body size and all that. Um, and so I get that question all the time from parents. Like, how do we, you know, how do we sort through this and um, really go after promoting health? I think what's tricky is that people um, in their approach of health there is this, I mean, even just in that word, I think there's a lot of talk about, okay, well, how do I get my kids to eat healthy foods, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't have any issue necessarily with that word. I think it can get tricky though, because I think we create this kind of black and white dichotomy, right? Of these are, these are healthy foods. These are unhealthy foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, these are bad foods. These are good foods. And so, um, I really talk to parents a lot about how to change our language around food. Um, also our language around bodies, but we can get into that later. Um, I had, um, my youngest, a few months ago had done a, um, it was a literary workshop at school, Mm -hmm. but they had honed in on this article that talked about the, the problems with sodium in the diet. So it was meant to be them learning about how to dissect like an article, but instead what she came out of it was like, Oh my gosh, mom, there's so much sodium. Mm -hmm. And she started reading cans in our house and everyone's, and it really turned into this big thing where she was very worried about how all this sodium was affecting us. Yes, absolutely. And I, and yeah. I was, you know, it started that whole like healthy foods, unhealthy foods. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I've really struggled with how to handle that because yeah. there is a part of me, I can't stand processed sugars, right? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. there, you know, I always feel like it's, it's, I'm hard pressed to find a good argument for eating a Twinkie. But yeah. at the same time, yeah. I also recognize 
it probably isn't great for our kids to get that message, right? Sure, I, I agree with that. Um, let me just backtrack backtrack a second. So I have a six and a half year old, and she similarly to what you're saying about the sodium issue, she came home, and she must have been taught this in I don't know in their health class or whatnot, but was looking at nutrition labels and, mm -hmm. and kind of concerned about sugar. Um, and my big thing is, is that kids come into this world having natural hunger and satiety right. cues. Mm -hmm. And so when they're looking at something external, like nutrition facts and things like that, again, not that there's not some merit in kind of looking what you're putting into your body, but if there's that, if we're fostering that over-focus on, mm -hmm. oh, I'm making this food choice based on a number. Mm -hmm. I also have issues with, uh, calories being listed at restaurants. Yes. I think it, I think it, there's some problems to that, that you are, already kind of starting that divide of like, do not listen to your body. Mm -hmm. To your point about the Twinkies, I, I really do take an all foods fit model though. I don't, in my own kids and then with my clients, I don't want to create kind of taboo foods. I'm not saying you should have Twinkies every day or every meal by any means, but, and clearly the focus should be on balanced, nutrient dense food and all mm -hmm. that. But I think we have to watch the taboos that we create and, and remember that Food can be for enjoyment and pleasure. And if you have that Twinkie, are you going to beat yourself up over it? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, unfortunately with, with eating disorders, you can kind of get into a shame cycle of then you eat that Twinkie. We have so many messages about oh, that's a bad food, you know, in our mm -hmm. society. And then you start, you can start a binge cycle for so many people. Mm -hmm. um, what we deprive ourselves and what we focus a lot on, you know, restricting for ourselves, we, we crave more. That's all the research and science shows that. So I think there's just... That's why I emphasize with clients. I work with dietitians that emphasize that same thing, that can we have a balanced diet, incorporate those types of things, you know, um, here and there, but not make it, not, not make it taboo. Yeah. You know, what I'm, what I see a lot of that is really frustrating me and I want moms to think about is we're starting to teach nutrition to kids really young. Mm -hmm. I think before they're developmentally yes, able to process this because we can look at food and look at things in moderation and find right. a balance, but our little concrete thinkers, yeah. they can't do that. Yeah. It's very black or white, and then food becomes so hard. Mm -hmm. And I've seen seven-year-olds in my office who can, who have probably better knowledge of of food mm -hmm. than a lot of um, nutrition majors in college <laughs> right, yeah. right. because they're all of a sudden panicked that food yeah. could be so bad for them mm -hmm. that they're paralyzed to either not eat or then they binge eat because they're exactly. it's so mm -hmm. uh, they're just out of control with food. So I feel like in our school system, I feel like is pushing it where we're teaching nutrition too young. Mm -hmm. Where you know our kids don't need to be making food choices on their own when they're in kindergarten. We yeah. provide. 99% of food for our kids. Right, yeah. Right. We're making it so hard so young. But I do think that a lot of times people think this is, we're doing right by our children by teaching them mm -hmm. nutrition. And I really want people to rethink that. Yeah, well, and I think, I always think about it from the neurological perspective of like there are foods that, that really kind of override our satiety cues. Right, and right. like, I, I will say like as a mom, that's kind of been my thing is like trying to keep those out of the house as much as possible, like not trying to make them seem like they're bad foods, but more mm -hmm. like how do I make sure what my kids have is something that's going to stick with those satiety cues, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think that can be tricky. I would say, so I, I encourage people maybe not necessarily keep it out of the house. I mean, I think every family's got to find what they're comfortable with. I think what I say to clients is part of being intuitive eater, which what that means is just listening to those hunger cues and honoring what your body's craving. Mm -hmm. But you have to be eating regularly balanced meals to even be in touch with that. Right. And mm -hmm. you have to be eating mindfully. And that's a whole nother 
piece I'm, we could get into, but but um, and we don't eat mindfully in our mm-hmm. current culture. We're right. eating on the go. We're eating fast food. Um, so again, we're really divorced from those kind of natural cues. But I think the, the biggest thing to think about is so if you do have that Snickers bar or Twinkie or you know pack of processed food, whatever, is just be aware of how that affects your body and then make informed decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we need to be teaching our kids is how do these different food combinations or some dietitians call them fuel mixes, um, how do how do those combinations affect you and then make informed decisions, but don't do it on a blanket. I don't eat this. Yeah. I don't eat that. I think that's where it can lead those that type of thinking can lead into an eating disorder. But even if you're not prone to an eating disorder, it can just set up problematic cycles in general yeah. I think binge. I think there's a lot of moms who I mean we all live in this diet culture mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and I think that um, we don't even understand that the messages we send to our kids about not being able to enjoy a treat yeah mm-hmm. um, exactly. can really set up this huge yo-yo mm-hmm. cycle for life and so we need to decide if we're gonna allow some treats for you know say right. we go out for ice cream to not then use language like oh I'm gonna have to get on the treadmill for two oh, hours gosh, tomorrow right. yeah or like I can't believe we're gonna eat this this is so bad yeah. right. and and I just think when we send those messages to our kids we make them feel ashamed and guilty and scared mm-hmm. for eating things that taste yeah. delicious yeah and so we really need to model like that was great I feel that was I'm so glad we had it I loved yeah. the yeah. flavor but we don't have to have it every day right yeah. absolutely yeah and I think it is it is changing in that language so I think it's for for moms for parents in general watching how we do talk about food watch how we talk about if someone has you know lost weight and and if you're in a group of women I mean how often does that come up you look great you look fabulous Mm -hmm. and again not to say you can't compliment someone and all that but I think just watching how much that's a focus of conversation Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. the little ears that are listening you know yeah yeah um I want, I want to jump in here because I do think there's a lot of moms that I've talked to who I've worked with them as families who they'll say, but I don't want my kids to think it's okay to eat these mm-hmm, foods. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we can argue the nutrition all day and night, but really setting up this emotional response to food is what's dangerous. Where mm-hmm. We can create a, pat, a very destructive pattern of thinking and food and feeling guilty and shameful. Mm-hmm. Like you said, that can lead to binging and right. um, mm-hmm. and restricting or feeling terrible. Um, so I think moms need to know, like, we can't beat it out of our kids that they're going to like ice cream. Yeah. Right? You know? Right. Yeah. And there's going to be ice cream at every birthday party they ever yeah. go to from here on out. So. Right. And having yeah. a healthy relationship with having treats in moderation sets them up for a lifestyle of not struggling as mm-hmm. opposed to desperately wanting something but feeling terrible about not wanting to eat it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Or creating that secrecy. So, okay, like you were saying, Kristen, you know, yes, certain foods are heavily laden with salt, sugar, mm-hmm. fat, mm-hmm. and those are more palatable and more mm-hmm. desirable. They taste great. And they do. They taste very <laughs> good, right? So, yeah. yes, we're going to crave them. I think we all have to be aware of how, again, how those things affect our body. And also, and this can happen when, as, as children develop and then, you know, they do learn to go towards those foods to soothe and all mm-hmm. that. I think, again, it's not demonizing the food then per se. It's all about focusing on the behavior. So that's yeah. just a huge distinction I make in my practice. Can we focus on the behavior and not not the food or the weight per se? Yeah. Can you say um, more about what yeah. you mean? Yeah, absolutely. So focusing on the act of, okay, why are we going towards that food to either emotionally eat or binge? Okay, mm-hmm. it's not... Yes, that food might play a part in that. Yes, it's palatable and it's it does feel good as you're tasting it, and it um, it is probably very soothing in, in many regards. But it's also the act of like people. Let me backtrack. People say there's mixed 
research out in the field of if food is an addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of researchers would say, they say that it, it doesn't really, there's similarities in the processes in the brain in terms of addictive substances and food, but there's also very different mm-hmm. uh, things that are going on. And they say that you don't have people just eat straight sugar, you know, um, mm-hmm. if, if they were truly addicted to sugar, would you see people just going straight to sources of sugar? Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so I guess I think that what that speaks to is just this emotional element of eating the food and opening mm-hmm. the bag or getting into the carton of ice cream. It's a very emotional, psychological process as well. Kind and that's, ritual Yeah, it. it's a yeah. ritual, um, all of the above. So that's what needs to be attended to. Like why, why is the child in, or teenager or whoever engaging in that behavior and then how can you intervene and, and suggest alternative you know methods for coping again without just that that food is bad you shouldn't do that yeah um that makes make sense yeah I mean one of the things that I've always thought about is um and and it's you know I always so a lot of times like after dinner there'll be a drive for like snacking behavior and I will say that um being a parent of kiddos who have ADHD one of the things about ADHD is the ADHD brain is dopamine seeking and so you know, I can see that dopamine-seeking behavior. And so sometimes, like, I'll say... Oh, can, I, yeah. can you say what dopamine-seeking behavior is? I'm not sure yeah. everybody knows okay. that. So with ADHD, a lot of times, like, the brain is not kind of reliably producing enough dopamine for us to kind of stay focused and regulated. Mm-hmm. And so what you, this is where you'll see the impulsivity and this tendency to, like, not be able to regulate behavior. And there are a lot of things that create dopamine for us. And um, food is on that dopamine pathway. We often think of it as, like, our sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Or a transmitter, yeah. um, but I think in kids, what you'll see is it's more about sensation seeking, and especially you know some of those highly palatable foods are going to be more associated with dopamine. And yeah. so sometimes what I will do is I'll say, "Are you hungry, or mm-hmm. is there something else going on?" And and I yeah. kind of will offer like, you know, if you're hungry, then this tablespoon of peanut butter will probably help satiate that hunger. Like yeah. you know, or is this I'm bored? I want to do you know. So I'm trying to coax yeah. them along, but hopefully not setting them up for trouble, right? <laughs> no, I, I agree. I yeah. think those are great questions. I think it's it's de-shaming this process as much as possible because it's so loaded. So even a slight comment, like I've had teenagers come in and say, my mom or dad said this, and I know their parents were well-intentioned, but mm-hmm. it's just such a heavily uh, loaded thing to talk about someone's food. So I think just, yeah, as non-judgmentally as you mm-hmm. can to say, hey, we, you know, we just ate, how about, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going on with you? What can we do instead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like bringing back to that intuitive eating. Check mm-hmm. in with your hunger. Yep. Is it that or is it something else? Yeah, absolutely. So my girls will do that. So it, the plates will be, and I do not push my children to eat full plates. I, I really mm-hmm. am trying to honor, yeah. and or the, they are intuitive eaters right now because they're <laughs> yeah. so young. So yeah. I'm trying to keep, it, keep that and foster that. But what is helpful for some people, so with my clients, I use like a zero to 10 scale, but for kids, sometimes it's easier to use that gas tank analogy mm-hmm. of where are you at? Are you empty? Are you quarter full? Are you half full? Are you three quarters? You know, are you, are you completely full? And kind of that idea of, of kind of stopping with, you know, around three quarters full, so you're not overly full and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but if my girls, yeah, have eat, you know, eaten half of, you know, their plate and then they want to go right to desserts, kind of have encouraging them to start asking that question. Like, where, yeah. let me check in with myself. Where am I really at right now? Mm-hmm. Do I need more of my, we call it growing food. Do I need more of my growing food before I might have, um, something sweeter? 
I like that idea yeah. of the mm-hmm. growing food and, and even also teaching that, that gas tank piece mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing that I think that happens is the kiddos know, like, once they've brushed their teeth that they're uh-huh. in their rooms and reading. Yep. And so, I, you know, as we're talking about it, I'm thinking it's also just a way of delaying bedtime. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like everything else. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So it is good to think about it as, like, foods that contribute to growing. Because, yeah, yes. we do the same thing. Both my husband and I came from – Families where you had to clean your plate, mm-hmm. and we both have really struggled with our weight all of sure. our adult lives. And so we kind of – I feel like we walk on eggshells because we want to encourage healthy food habits, but we don't really know what those look like. Right. And so, it, right. you know, even those – like that idea of this is food that contributes to growth. Yep. Here's how you know if you're full or empty. Because yes. I feel like it is it is something – that is very hard to learn when you've not known it well. Right. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full sounds so simple. Yeah. And it might be for younger people, but truly, we all kind of, messages get in the way of those signals. They do. Yes. They do. So uh, keeping with that gas tank you know, analogy, I, I say that there are separate tanks, right? You've got kind of your emotional tank, and, so, and then you've got your physiological hunger. And so can they begin even teasing out at an early age that, oh, I think this might be anxiety interfering with. I actually mm-hmm. am hungry and probably should eat before this test, you right. know? Um, and that's interfering. So you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I do I do think we need to talk about a big, big kind of elephant in the room is the fear of obesity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is unfortunately driving a lot of negative relationships between food and kids because yeah. they sense their parents' fear of them becoming overweight. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the fear of a, the obesity, the war, and I put that in quotation marks, the war on obesity started, you know, years ago um, and driven by, you know, people looking at BMIs, looking at Americans' BMIs and being concerned and all that. I think we have to be real careful when we look at BMIs. It was developed hundreds of years ago by um, a person that's not in this field, um, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to look at populations. It was never meant to look at individual health. I do find it concerning that we we are still using that as a measure, but that's that's kind of a whole other piece. I think, you know, again, I think when we demonize obesity, fat, we're not going after what we really need to be going after. Um, all the research shows there's a direct relationship with our ability to treat an issue or condition and address it and the stigma that we associate with mm-hmm, it, right? Mm-hmm. So if, we, if we're if we saying we have an issue with the health of our nation mm-hmm. and then we are saying to people, if you are overweight or fat, it's your problem, mm-hmm. And, and, and as you know, we can see over the last decades, like it's not we're not getting healthier necessarily right. as mm-hmm. a nation. Mm-hmm. So clearly, this approach is not working. Um, furthermore, there's such a wider range of sizes that are absolutely appropriate for people. And I think mm-hmm. we put people, you know, we use growth and height charts and we use BMI, and it's such a narrowly prescribed uh, definition of mm-hmm. health. So. I really am a proponent of how can we find health at different sizes for all people. Mm -hmm. And again, like I was saying, focus on the behavior. There's research that says bullying for weight is the number one, one of the number one things that kids are bullied for. Um, There's research that says weight stigmatization is higher than racial, uh, stigmatization towards uh, racial and sexual minorities. So Mm -hmm. it's rampant and it's not helping because it's shaming those individuals, which actually drives them further into kind of unhealthy behaviors of binging or yeah. 
or of, you know, yeah, you, you increase the negative emotions, you're going to increase the brain's drive for yeah. dopamine and soothing, mm-hmm. and then everything gets Vicious worse. Cycle. Yeah, mm-hmm. remember, I learned in graduate school about the prepubescent filling period. Yes, and I, anytime I talk to parents, I always want them to understand that pre, that you know it is a really normal part of the body's preparation for puberty yep. for the body to fill out. And yeah. in my own kids, what I've seen is they tend to fill out and then they they go up. They kind of mm-hmm. go out a little bit and then they go up and. As a, as a parent, I have to really practice a lot of self-soothing with, you know, just to really try to regulate my own sure. reactions because I really so desperately want them to see their bodies as being beautiful and special yes. exactly as they are, yes. you know? Well, I think, yeah, we, I mean, we live in a culture where it, it is absolutely normal to want to lose weight and look a certain way, you know, do, and, and to diet. And mm-hmm. do, do I encourage that? My clients No, because all the research shows diets do not work and deprivation does not work and you're going to actually gain all the weight back or, or then some. So, mm-hmm. but I absolutely normalize for all my clients that we live in this culture. So that yeah. is normal. And mm-hmm. it's normal. Even if you're seeing your child, if you're seeing your child's body, you know, gain weight and all that there, it can be normal to have that fear of, Oh my God, they're going to experience weight stigma or yeah. possibly be made fun of. Um, not to say we should stop that behavior and, and encourage weight loss because we yeah. know that that's going to absolutely backfire and not yeah. be in their best interest. But to have that kind of internal, you know, fear, I mean, that that's normal in the society. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But I do, I see a lot where a parent might say this all began when she got chunky in mm-hmm. fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we scaled back, we got the treats mm-hmm. out of the house and then her energy needs weren't being met right. because mm-hmm. she's in this huge growth spurt yes. and she she filled out to be able to grow up. Yeah. And then it becomes a really negative relationship with yes. food. Like, mm-hmm. I'm bad because I want my needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there become, she's ashamed, she feels guilty, she feels mm-hmm. bad, she starts sneaking food. Mm-hmm. There's yes. a power struggle with parents. I think parents maybe mm-hmm. need to remember that they can't see with their own eyes their children's energy needs. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. Especially if they're in athletics or, right. I mean, there's so many. And that's where I do wish more doctors spoke to that, like normalize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially for athletes, like the energy requirements yes. are so high. Yeah, so that needs to be normalized. I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah. It, so to all parents, if you're looking at your kid on, you know, gulping down dinner and wanting mm-hmm. seconds and thirds, and that's this is not their normal behavior, right. relax. Yeah. Right. Let yeah. it happen. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think that... Um, in our kids' school, they still do measuring BMI, mm-hmm. and yes. so we've kind of had to deal with that in our yeah. house. Just them coming home and saying, "Oh, I, you know, um, one of mine at one point had the lowest BMI," and I was like, "Well, that's this is not a badge of honor, like you know." But I, I'm also like, "You're, you're I'm kind of doing this dance of like, this is just a number, and it right. doesn't really say all that much no. about your health." I, I agree with you. I mean, I have thoughts on the BMI. I will say, I mean, weight. Okay, so that's a. It's just information. Can mm-hmm. we? encourage parents to just have a scale out in plain view like all the time because I think that's just an overemphasis on it we don't mm-hmm. have a blood pressure cuff you know sitting yeah. out all the time right so mm-hmm. I think can we can we treat it as what it is just one other number to look at but not to dictate you know everything around yeah, yeah I, we when um my oldest was little we lived in a very small house where we had one bathroom mm-hmm. and I was not even aware of it but our pattern I guess was get up in the morning, go to the bathroom, step on the scale. And one morning I saw him do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh gosh, yes, you know, and yes. it was funny how it was just this very unconscious behavior, but it was totally being translated right. and modeled, you know? Right. 
It's really important. I, I think this idea of focusing on what does health really mean and not focusing on weight with right. that being the only data right. point, like you're saying. But in our culture, we do tend to look at somebody and assume they look healthy yes. and they don't instead of really knowing what having a better definition of health. I agree with you because you can have people at certain and lower end ends of the weight spectrum that are very unhealthy yes. and do their labs and all that. And then, you know, maybe higher weight individuals have perfect labs. And, mm-hmm. um, I agree. And again, because it is such a loaded nature and I'm sure all of us in this room can relate if we've ever struggled with weight or, or had those types of issues is that that number can dictate your entire day. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that number could have fluctuated for a menstrual cycle for, mm-hmm. um, certain Salt. types of food, <laughs> <Salt. laughs> like yes. the number is fickle and it can fluctuate. And for some of my clients and even just parents I've talked to, if it's up, you know, a certain number of, of pounds, it changes the whole day and then it changes how they eat. And again, they get divorced from that natural intuition and that's, that's problematic. Yeah. So let's talk about how we can model really healthy food Mm -hmm. behavior and health behavior for our kids. Cause I think that's probably the best way to protect our kids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think with food, you know, it's eating again to honor that intuitive eater, you know, the data really shows we need to be eating, um, you know, regular, regular balanced meals throughout the day. So I know some people they're busy in the morning and they might skip breakfast, but they encourage their children to eat breakfast. Well, I think we need to be modeling, like Mm -hmm. sit down and, you know, have, have your breakfast. A lot of my dietitian um, colleagues use the, my plate system where they're kind of looking at not measuring portions, not Mm -hmm. calories, anything, anything like that, but just making sure you're kind of getting your basic food groups, obviously. And we, and we all know that, but I think making that you know, concerted effort, being aware of that. And then again, it's, it's how we talk about food. I know we've talked about that, watching the, the black and white labeling of food and so mm-hmm. forth, encouraging people, um, to check in with their, their hunger and satiety. And then the other big piece is mindfulness, right? Yeah. So family dinners people, are important. Family yeah. dinners are huge. And, and the research bears that out time and time again. So sitting down, putting like plating, like putting out silverware, putting mm-hmm. out placemat, putting out, um, not paper plates, but, you know, real plates, you know, uh-huh. just to, to kind of create that environment where you are sitting down, you're turning off technology, having all electronics away, um, maybe some light music, but that would be about it. The TV certainly off mm-hmm. and having that time, not only to connect sure as a family, but so that everyone can kind of get more centered and just be in touch with that mm-hmm. versus kind of the normal, you know, I know some family dinners and I'm not judging this. It's mm-hmm. happened. It, it happens and it's real life, but some people in front of the TV, some people are kind of eating as they're mm-hmm. making it, you know, at the, yeah, as they're preparing. And that just, again, it just decreases the likelihood that you're listening in. Yeah. One of the things, tell me if I'm off base or not. Like one of the things that I've done in the daily house is I have a principle where the dining room, we eat in the dining room and, and the if food stays in the dining room or in the kitchen, like it's not, I don't love, like, I really don't allow it in the bedrooms, yeah. you know, but I don't want it in front of the TV. Like yes. I want it, like if you're eating, you're intentionally eating. Like, you know, if you're, yeah. you're feeding an appetite, you're going to do this and you're not going to be watching media while you're yep. doing it. Is that, is that on, is that in, on, in line? hundred percent, hundred percent. So I'm a big believer of, yeah, I really try to watch the TV or eating food in front of the TV just because then, and then it's, it's mindless. I mean, mm-hmm. by definition, mm-hmm. you're going to be in front of the TV. It's going to be mindless. Again, I'm all about balance. Does that ever happen? Are we watching movie and is there popcorn? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So again, mm-hmm. I'm just, I try to stay away from that black and white. I tell clients not to eat in the car. Do I sometimes eat in the car? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you're busy. human. I'm yeah. human. I'm <laughs> yeah. running out the door and trying yeah. to get to, you know, 
little kids out, you know, to preschool, all that stuff. So it happens, but that is not my default. I, mm-hmm. I, as a rule of thumb, I, I want to encourage more mindfulness than not. We touched on, I think we can't have a healthy relationship with food if we're not also having a healthy relationship with our bodies. So we've kind of said this, but mm-hmm. really watching how we talk about our bodies, but mm-hmm. also other people's bodies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes we can have reactions. You've heard people say, Ooh, I don't know if I'd be wearing that if I were, you know, Mm -hmm. I think little things that other people say like that, again, kids are sponges, they're listening and Mm -hmm. then they're internalizing. Well, what does that mean that that person shouldn't, you know, be wearing that? So also exposing them to people of different bodies and then Mm -hmm. just really encouraging every body is different and, you know, appreciating and teaching the beauty in all bodies and uh, having that dialogue pretty young and, and keeping it going. Yeah. My oldest daughter, when she was younger, she one time was said, was asking me like, what is it to be skinny mom? Yeah. You know, she was like, yep. I keep hearing this word skinny and what does yeah. it mean? And, and she thought it meant like being covered in skin. And right. I was like, yes, everybody right. is covered <laughs> in skin. But I found myself like, it's funny when those questions come up, I, you know, I kind of dance around mm-hmm. like, because I just don't want to in, introduce this idea that there's a higher valued body and right. a less valued right. body. Right. So I know that they probably are like avoid asking their psychologist mom questions right. like that. <laughs> my daughter's learning that quickly too. She so she was looking in the mirror similarly and said, "Are my leg or my legs are skinny, mommy, or something?" And she she does have a, a, a more narrow build, but um, I was and of course you know I well up and I'm like, "Who did? Where did you hear that? You know, where did you hear that?" And then my husband's like, "Calm down, back off," you know. Yeah. But and I did so I just kind of turned it around on her and I said, "What, what does that mean to you, sweetie?" And then she just kind of said, "It just means like I'm I'm narrow here," or I, mm-hmm. and then she just described it in such objective terms, mm-hmm. and I realized for her that hadn't kicked in but she's six and a half that's going to mm-hmm. kick in real mm-hmm. soon you mm-hmm. know um, if it hasn't already in terms mm-hmm. of these certain bodies are idealized I mean half I think there's a study that came out half of like three to six year olds want to lose weight already yeah. so, which breaks my heart because it's exactly the age of my two um right. so it's out there and so mm-hmm. I think just again all we can do is have the conversation expose them to different bodies like I'm even really aware of the magazines and uh, things that I bring into my home in terms of oh, yeah. is it only portraying a certain certain type of look um, yeah we so. we had a brief subscription to girl's life mm-hmm. and then I very quickly canceled it because I was just blown away like I mean we had gotten boys life and boys yeah. life was all about camping and hiking and being active yep. girls life was all about dating and makeup oh, and I was like gosh. I was so offended I actually I took a, a picture of one of the covers I'll probably put up like yeah I was just heartbroken because Absolutely. I mean, that's, like, what are we pushing forward? Yeah, exactly. Girls? Yeah. I think we also this is maybe a whole other podcast in itself, but we need to teach our especially girls to be critical consumers of the diet yes. industry. Mm-hmm. That they are bombarded with this message that their body will become overweight just by eating. That they right. don't trust their bodies. Mm-hmm. That they mm-hmm. actually need a lot of fuel, and mm-hmm. they they can eat to their fullness. Yep. And if they don't understand that that diet industry is big powerhouse, is. Mm-hmm. they start to mistrust their bodies and they hear all these messages that they'd better work really hard if they're, um, if they can have a body that feels comfortable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I worked in San Antonio for a while and, um, a colleague of mine kind of launched out a body image, um, group within the schools and they mm-hmm. did it during every national eating disorder awareness week, but they were trying to get at that. And I, I, I want to say they started in middle school. Um, and I, frankly, it could probably even start earlier. Yeah. Like, okay, here's, and, and literally walk through them with us. Like here are various advertisements or here's various, you know, pictures in a magazine. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think they're trying to sell you and who benefits from this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and a lot of the body image work, or a lot of the research that shows um, what's successful with body image is creating cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. So that notion just of like really seeing who benefits from us think buying into this notion that this is the only definition of beautiful, mm-hmm. yeah. seeing how it actually really damages the vast majority of American mm-hmm. women or mm-hmm. women really around the world, creating that dissonance where then we start to make choices differently yeah. um, and become, yeah, again, more critical. Yeah. Well, Emily, we are so grateful that you were able to join us today. Thank you so much. I love talking about this. Happy to talk about it anytime. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.